Yesterday, we celebrated the homegoing of Pastor William Carroll, our beloved associate pastor of Times Square Church and esteemed professor at Summit International School of the Ministry. Even though his life was celebrated, grief still accompanies the whole and the loss we all feel. C.S. Lewis really captured the feeling when he said, the death of a loved or a beloved one is like an amputation. See, grief is such a strong word and one of the hardest battles anyone can ever face. In fact, it's mostly a word that is associated with death and loss. After being in ministry for over four, for four decades, I've seen a lot of loss and a lot of grief on every level. From tragic shootings on the streets of Detroit with a church full of teenage gang members to a, to a stillborn baby and sitting in a, a chapel at a hospital with two parents that are just hollow with what just happened. I've seen shocking suicides to young cancer victims leaving a row of children wondering what has happened to their mother. Even when the death was expected and prayed for, grief was still there and it's always strong. No matter what you're facing in the in ahead or even what you're facing now, today may be one of the most important and useful messages I think I could ever give to you. If you don't need it now, hold on to it because you're gonna need it at some time in your life. In fact, what I wanna give to you today is a prayer to pray when you face your toughest moment in life. Let's pray. Father, may the Holy Spirit just guide these next few moments. God, there are some people that are facing the biggest challenge. Some are dealing with grief. From our beloved associate pastor here that we lost a week ago, or Father, what what they're facing from losing loved ones with COVID. So Father, whatever we're dealing with right now, I pray, let us learn this lesson from the life of Job. In Jesus' name, amen. The hardest funeral I've ever done in my life was back in Detroit. It was a house fire a few blocks from our church and the family didn't pay their heating bill. And so they had electric heaters connected to extension cords all over the house on floor one and floor two. And somehow in the middle of the night, the electric heaters and the extension cords became a horrible combination and set the house on fire. The problem is that there were small children in the home. And the bigger problem is that the doors and the windows, because of the area, had bars all over them. And so it didn't matter whether they woke up or didn't. I saw the house that night in flames right after it happened. Drove by it the next morning and nothing was there where a house once stood. Our church hosted the funeral and I presided and the memory still haunts me. I looked down from our stage there at our Detroit church to see a mom's adult coffin and three little coffins next to her. It was too much for me at that moment. Without being insensitive, one coffin brings pain. The four I saw seemed to be unbearable. But what if, not being insensitive, what if those three children coffins ended up being 10? 10, that's a true story. That's the story of Job. It starts with a funeral for Job's 10 children. That's 10 coffins. I can't even imagine that. And right after the funeral, Job begins to express these words at the end of chapter one. And here's what Job says. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Here it comes. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
What's amazing is Job did not say the Lord gave and the devil took away. He said the Lord has taken away. Then Job says these words, the name of the Lord be praised or be blessed. See, Job was saying this, God is praised if God is taking and God is praised when he's giving. That's why this is so important today. See, the praise of Job here is not just a praise the Lord for provision, but it's even a praise the Lord for subtraction. And I think we're in a time in the church that we have so emphasized in the church today, the God who gives, but we keep the Lord who subtracts tucked away for funerals. See, we like part A, but we don't really like part B. We have to learn, I have to learn to praise and even take away part B. See, our biggest test of praise is when the God who chooses to do part B and we are called to still praise him and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And when we are at takeaway, honestly, that's when we're in the battle. When C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy Davidman, died of her horrible bout with cancer, Lewis kept a journal and much later it was published. He had no intention for these personal thoughts to ever go into publication, let alone be seen by the public and let alone being read by me one day. It was a journal that eventually was published. It was C.S. Lewis's private thoughts. Really, it was his private thoughts when he was dealing with takeaway, with subtraction. It was called it was called A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. Probably the rawest, one of the rawest books, or at least C.S. Lewis books you can ever read. It's his journal, right after Joy passed away. Sometimes when I'm reading this, I feel like I shouldn't even be reading it because it was so personal. But you see how he processes his faith during the most tragic time in his life his takeaway, his subtraction. But I want to read to you a section of what his biggest struggle was. And wow, this is so challenging to me. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in A Grief Observed. He said these words, not that I'm in danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread, Lewis said, is this. So there is no God after all? He said, that's not my conclusion. But it's this is my conclusion. So this is what God's really like. Oh my goodness. You can't get any more raw than that with his, with his, with his, these words. Later on, C.S. Lewis was asked, why do the righteous suffer? Which is a question we all ask. And C.S. Lewis rightly said, they are the only ones who can handle it. See, if you're a Christian today and God has given you, then God has given you the ability to go through those takeaway moments, those subtraction seasons. And Job is going to teach us a prayer on how to face the toughest moment of your life. See, Job's takeaway moment, if you could believe it, was even worse than the 10 coffins. See, the hardest battle any one of us can face are not just simply the battle, but when they come back to back and sometimes back to back to back. This is the moment where you can't even catch your breath. This is the moment where one thing is not even resolved and another battle comes. And many of you understand what that's like. Maybe you don't realize, or maybe it just hasn't begun to set in with the life of Job. But in one day, Job chapter one, Job loses all his children, all his assets, all his property, and even his health. In, in one chapter, really, Job is childless, homeless, sick, and broke all in one day. 
<laughs> the side note of this is the only thing he has left is his wife and those that know the story and her reaction to the loss. He probably wished that may have been one of the losses, but that's another story. We may face one of these in a lifetime, maybe two at, 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 at that, but all four losses in one day, all four losses, children, assets, home, and health. Oh, oh my goodness. That's Job's story. What do you say to a man who's standing in front of four coffins, who has sores all over his body, doesn't even have the money to pay for the funeral of his own children, and when the funeral's over and they're buried at the cemetery, he doesn't even have a home to go, to go back to because it's all gone. What do you say to him? I'm reading through the book of Job, and I started to think about Malachi 3.3. Malachi 3.3 calls these Job moments, I believe, the refiner's fire. Let me read to you Malachi 3.3. This is important for us as believers today. Like a refiner of silver, he, that's God, will sit and closely watch as the dross is burned away. He will purify the Levites, the ministers of God. That's, that's dealing with us as leaders, even us as Christians, refining them like gold or silver so that they will do their work for God with pure hearts. See, God is the refiner and pain, in a sense, is the fire. We are being reminded by the prophet Malachi that since it's a refiner's fire, here's the good news. Something precious is going to come out of it. See, I want you to remember this today. The refiner changes the shape of the metal. Here it is while it's in the fire. See, it's the refiner that beats the gold with a mallet while, while in the fire because heat makes hard things soft. It makes it malleable. In fact, while we're in the fire, God changes our shape in the fire, in those moments, in subtraction seasons. I think God changes our shape, which means Job and maybe even you today are getting ready to be in the best spiritual spiritual shape of your life so that what you were before the battle is not what you're going to be after the battle or what you were before the fire is not what you're going to be after the fire. See, the Job of chapter 42 is not the same Job of chapter one. If, if gold is to be hammered into something precious, then the whole thing must be put in the fire. That's Job chapter one. So that there may be a time, and maybe this is defining for some of you, an aha moment. There may be a time where everything you have is in a battle, from a marriage to your children, to your possessions, to a job, to your health. That's the way it was with Job. But really, many times for us, it's a confirmation that the refiner is working and something precious is coming out. That's why I love what the 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said. He said, a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. But he says, but if it goes through the white heat of the furnace, then that clay pot becomes porcelain. Job 42, Job's porcelain. Job is in the refiner's fire that maybe you're in right now. But on the other side, we're going to learn a prayer to pray from Job, from, from what happens to him when we go through our toughest moment. Let me just give you a quick background of Job, because I think this is important for us to say. How long does Job's suffering last? How, how long does Job fight his battle in those 42 chapters? This is 42 chapters that you're going through. Sometimes when you read the Bible, there could be decades even be between chapters, but not here, not here in Job. In fact, it'll surprise you. See, Job 1 starts around 2100 BC, along with Genesis, one of the oldest books of the Bible. 
And when you fast forward and you look at, at the chronology, Job 42, it's still 2100 BC. Literally, these wasn't years, these were months. The entire book of Job and his sufferings was literally about one year or less. In fact, Job never uses the word years when you read his book. He talks about days and months. What, what a year though it was. What a year it was for this man. I mean, I think we could say that right now. Sound familiar to us? What a, what a year 2020 was. And then 2021 didn't even start off all that hot. See, when that year is over, Job received more at the end than he did at the beginning. See, it even says that. This is how 42 ends. This is the man after the refiner's fire, after he comes out of the, of, of the, of the refiner's fire. He says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. When you read Job chapter one and what he had before the tragedy, tragedy took place, you think, how can he be more blessed? But this is what happens and what God does. That's what happens when you successfully, with God's help, navigate through those tough battle seasons. And here's what's amazing. When you get towards the end of the book of Job, after everybody speaks, all four, uh, all four of the people speaking to Job and having opinions to speak to him, everybody that wants to be a counselor to him, after everybody speaks in the book of Job for 37 chapters, then this is where it starts. God speaks in Job chapter 38. This is where everything turns. It's, in fact, it says in Job 38.1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and then we go to chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41. And, and in fact, God reminds us, even in Job 42, 7, he reminds us that what everybody else said, in fact, these are God's words. He says, what everyone else said, he says, my wrath is kindled because they all didn't speak because they have not spoken of me what is correct. That's what God, so, so everything you hear from Job 3 all the way through Job, the end of 37, was incorrect, incorrect about God. That's when it goes back to what, what C.S. Lewis said. He says that my biggest fear is, is that to think these horrible thoughts, so that's what you're like, God. That's what those four men did. So now God has to step in. I want to pause for a moment and just tell you this, because I believe in all that we're facing here as a country, I do believe God is getting ready to do something powerful globally. I do believe revival is coming. One of my friends defined revival like this. This is where I think Job 42 steps in. They, re they define revival as this. It's when God gets sick and tired of mis being misrepresented and he finally shows up and says, this is who I am. That's what revival is. Job 42 is a revival. God got sick and tired of being misrepresented, so God shows up. And I think when you look at the tragedy of what Job has faced, and all that he went through, whatever God said in these four chapters, 38, 39, 40, and 41, changed Job. How do you change a man that has lost his health, his children, he has lost his assets, and he's lost his home? And in a sense, when you look at his wife, he's losing his marriage. There's loss everywhere, subtraction everywhere. What is it that God said? In fact, listen to the words of Job after God speaks. This is how 42 when God's done speaking, what, how Job replies to God's four chapters to the man that was reeling from a subtraction season. Here's what it says. Then Job replied to the Lord. This is after God has spoken. All red letters there for those four chapters. It says, now I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. This is the man who cursed the day of his birth in Job 3. Now 
You're looking at 39 chapters later. God speaks. And he says, now I realize you can do anything and no one can stop you. He says, you asked, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. Job goes, I'm the, I'm the problem. You said, listen, Job goes, God, you said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And then this is what happens. I only I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. That's in the subtraction season. I sit in dust and, ash, dust and ashes to show my repentance. Wow, what was it that God said to fix this? I think we need to listen to Job, to chapters 38 through 41 and see what took the man that is known to go through the worst trial no human being has ever faced what Job has faced all in one day and came out better than he went in. What did God say to Job that changed Job? What did God say in these chapters? Get ready, because I want you to strap in. It's from these God speeches, we are gonna take our prayer for our toughest time, our toughest moment, our toughest season, and maybe our toughest year in life. God speaks to the man that lost everything in chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. So what does Job hear from God? I'm about to sum everything up. So get ready, folks. I'm gonna sum up these chapters. Some of you are listening going like, what did he tell him? Who faced death? Who faced loss? Job loss? Financial loss? What is it that God spoke to him? Here it comes. This is amazing. Job 38, here are the overviews, just overviews of every chapter. He talks about in chapter 38, the earth and its measurements, the stars, the oceans, the clouds, sunrises and sunsets, the depths of the sea. Where does light live and darkness dwell? Where does God store the snow and the hail? Then God speaks about animals like lions and ravens and how they hunt, their eating habits, and how baby ravens cry for food. Job 39, he continues, God continues. This chapter is a barrage of questions about a number of animals. The mountain goat, the deer, how they give birth, the timing of their birth, the donkey, the oxen, on how they work a threshing floor with grain, an ostrich and the flapping of their wings, a horse and his neck, his snorting and his hoofs, the eagle and the hawk, and their personal habits he highlights in chapter 39. Hold on. Chapter 40, God picks one big animal called behemoth or the hippo, many believe, his bones, his limbs, his thighs, his power, and his tail. And then the conclusion, here it is, the final one. God brings in Leviathan. Many think that's a crocodile. His teeth, his scales, his eyes, and breathing. And that's it. Are you kidding me, Pastor Tim? That's it? Zoology? We're dealing with, with, with what's going on here. You're talking about animals, zoology, and geology. This is what's going to do it. He tells about clouds, hippos, and mountain goats, and that's supposed to get him through his trouble. Doesn't that seem odd to you after Job heard this, that all of a sudden Job goes, now I know, 42.1, that you can do anything and no one can stop you. And then he says in 42.6, I take back everything after hearing about animals. But is that enough? With Job heard to get you through your pain. I think we have it all wrong. I think I had it wrong. The number one question in pain goes like this. Why? Why did this happen to me? We want God to tell us why something happened. But knowing why is not what gets us through. But it's knowing God and who he is and his power that gets us through what we're going, what we're facing. 
See, people get mad at God for not hearing why. And there are times that people won't serve God or cease to believe in God, like even C.S. Lewis was talking about his subtraction season, because you don't know why your uncle died of cancer, why you're diagnosed with this disease, why your child is the way he or she is physically. Why do they have money and I don't? Why did I ever marry this person? Why do I live here and not over there? Why didn't they ever ask me to be a leader in the ministry? Why am I not in ministry and pastoring now? I want to say this to you. You don't need a why. You just need God to talk about animals. Some of you are thinking, Pastor Tim, I'm not following you. I have to tell you, you may never know why. And when you read this, this God speech, we're hearing about clouds, oceans, lightning, alligators, and hippos, and how animals give birth. And Job never heard why or what happened with Satan at the throne of God. Isn't that amazing? That in those four chapters, God's voice never says, well, you know what, Job? There was this conversation I had with Satan. This is why it happened. And, and nothing of the sort is there. It was about creation and nature lesson and never talks about a conversation that he has in heaven with Satan himself, with Lucifer. Isn't that amazing? Because God knew that you didn't need to know about a conversation that I had with Lucifer. You didn't need to know about a conversation that God had with the devil. In fact, it's so crazy. Even in chapter four, when the guys, when the counselors of Job started to speak, Eliphaz is one of the first ones. And he's saying to him, he goes, hey, the reason why you're going through this is you're counseling people with the same kind of trouble that you're going through today. And it's just not true. We have to be careful of unpacking pain situations. Eliphaz did that. Job is suffering because God and Satan had were in a transaction. See, it's easy to argue from a precedent or from your painful situation, but I have to tell you something. Let me just say this to you for a moment. Give God elbow room because we don't know what went on. Job didn't know about the conversation. We're made privy of it in the scriptures today. Job's suffering has no precedent. So who are you as a counselor, Eliphaz, to say, yeah, this is what this is. In fact, in the end, God said to the friends that you, don't, you haven't even spoken the truth about him or me. See, does Job have to hear why it happened in order to get through? Does he have to have a complete explanation? I speak about myself in arrogance and pride. Man self-diagnoses and says, I demand to know why. We demand an explanation from God in our pain in order, almost threatening, in order to continue to believe in God. Job got nothing of the sort and he didn't even need it. See, the conclusion of Job's story is when God finally steps in and starts speaking this way to him. I kept thinking through those four chapters, zoology and geology, nature and creation, not a story about spiritual warfare in the heavenlies, not about a God and Satan transaction that happens in Job 1 and 2. What is the prayer of the baffled? What is the prayer of the one that's at the end of their rope? What is the prayer of the person that maybe is, is low on the list of COVID, but yet they're so fearful of what's going to happen with their life? What is the prayer to pray when you face your toughest moment in life? I believe we learn from Job and what God told him in chapters 38 through 41, a new prayer to help us. I, I want to I just tell you what I bring out of this. I, this is what I learned. Is God... I don't care what you talk about or what you say. I just need you to say something. It's this. Here's the prayer. Talk about anything you want, God. 
but just talk. You say anything you want, God, but just say something. If mountain goats and ostrich talk from the lips of God got a man through the loss of 10 children, all of his assets, his home, and his health in one day, then it can get me through anything that I'm going through. I don't care if God talks about a mountain goat or an ostrich. Just say anything you want, God. But here it is. But just say something. I, I just need one word from Jesus, and that can carry me through the worst days of my life, just like it did Job. For God to talk about his creation and to talk about heavens, what's in the heavens and what walks on the planet to get a man through that. And Job goes, I'm a different man. Then really my prayer is this, say anything you want, God, just say something. I, I, I just need one word. The, you know, one word from Jesus is what you see sometimes peppered throughout the New Testament after the Gospels. So when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus's words in red letters. But once in a while, a red letter situation will show up. Red letters in the New Testament is when Jesus is talking. You see this in, in one of those rare moments after the Gospels where red letters show up during one of Paul's toughest moments in his life. In fact, it's what Dr. R.T. Kendall talked about last week when he talked about the thorn in the flesh. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read it to you. This is, this is the Apostle Paul's Job 1 and 2. And then literally in a matter of verses, not chapters, all of a sudden it seems like he hits his chapter 42 and goes, now I see what you're doing, God. Listen to what he says. RT read this last week. Because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment. Man, these are, these are strong words. Thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan, torment me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I employed the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, here come the red letters that you see in 2 Corinthians. Here it comes. You'll see it in your Bible. My grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul says, after he hears the red letters, one word from Jesus, most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses. He says, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Verse 10 is my favorite part of it. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses and persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, to divorce these words from the context is really an unpardonable atrocity. It is the most touching piece, I think, of Pauline autobiography in the New Testament. It was from, these words come from the ascended, throne-sitting, right hand of God, intercessor Jesus. These words to the, to the confused apostle Paul, who's thinking, why won't he answer my prayer? It was given to a pain-wracked, baffled, questioning, no answer to prayer apostle, and these words come. These words literally turn him around in an instant. Read the beginning of what he says. He talks about the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to keep me from exalting myself. I, I, I'm getting no answers in prayer. The Lord, I entreated him three times and nothing has happened. Then Jesus speaks. The words come and he said to me, there it is. That's the Job 38. Now God speaks. And then I have to tell you what happens. This brought joy to my life and I pray it strengthened you today. Now the change. Because the power of Christ dwells in me, Paul said, I can face not only a thorn, but then all of a sudden he adds things. He goes, but weakness, insults, persecutions, 
and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hallelujah. Did you feel that change? Did you see what the Apostle Paul said? He went from, I got a thorn in the flesh and God won't talk to me to, I'll take that and weakness, insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties. In essence, one word from Jesus says, you can not only handle a thorn, here it is, but five other things along with the thorn. He says, I can handle the thorn. I can handle weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties. If God speaks and whatever he says, it won't just get me through a thorn. You can add those five other things. You go, Paul. That's powerful to me. Wow, that's incredible what God is able to do. I have to tell you this story. In the late 1950s, there was a movie that was called The Seventh Seal. Ingmar Bergman directed it. But it's that last scene of the movie that literally caught my attention. The movie is built around a medieval knight playing chess with with death, this demonic figure. There's a chessboard. And the movie goes back and forth between scenes and the chess match between the demon and and the knight. But the last scene is the voice of death and the demonic saying, checkmate. And the curtain comes down and that's it. I was reading the story that young Bobby Fischer at 14 years old, the chess player extraordinaire, the prodigy chess player, saw the movie in a New York City movie theater and saw what no one else saw on the screen that day. Bergman arranged, the director arranged the chess pieces in a certain way that can only be detected by a chess master. No one paid attention except young Bobby Fischer, the great prodigy chess player. And all the audience heard was checkmate. But if they would have studied the board like Bobby Fischer did that day while everybody else was looking at the peripheral, he looked at the chess board. And Bobby Fischer did what they didn't even realize. As the curtain came down, I was reading about this, as they did for the movies, the curtain came down when the movie was over in the 50s. Fisher started to yell out, why is he giving up? And then he says these words, the king has one more move. Hallelujah. The king has one more move. Oh, he's speaking about a chess piece, but I have to tell you, I'm speaking about another king. That king that sits on the throne today. That king that when everybody else says, Job, you're done, that king had one more move. That was Job 38. The king, when all of a sudden Paul was about to give up and say, I don't know what to do about this thorn, the king had one more move. It was called red letters. Jesus gave him one word. Now he said, I can handle that thorn and I can handle five other things because he spoke to me. You know what the move of the king is? Is when the king begins to speak in the midst of the toughest season. So that's why my prayer in my toughest season is God speak about whatever you want, but just speak. Say whatever you want. If it's about mountain goats and ostriches, lightning and hail, it doesn't matter as long as I hear your voice. God speaking about a mountain goat in birthing seasons trumps the perplexity of 10 children's caskets, the loss of my assets, my home, my health. But just speak to me, God. We need God to speak to us today because the king has one more move. I have to tell you, let me finish with this. We're all facing hard times. We all face difficulties. If you don't have God in your life, I don't know how you're gonna make it. You you need God, I need God. I didn't say church and I didn't say religion. I said, we need God. 
Because here's the promise that he gives even to Isaiah the prophet. He says, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Do not be afraid. He says, I am with you. And here's what I want to challenge you with. The only way God is with us is if we have a relationship with him. And that relationship is called being born again. It's the most important question anyone can ever ask you. And that answer determines, am I walking through the fire and the flood alone or do I have help? And the question is, have I been born again? When you ask words like this, people immediately go to what they did. Well, I've, I've gone to church or I've been a good person or I had a first communion or um, my family is religious. And we go to what has been done by us. And this is what's, why this is so important. Jesus uses these words in John chapter three. These are Jesus's words. These are red letters. No man, John 3, 3, can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. In fact, Jesus says in John 3, 5, you must be born again. See, when we use that word born again, we're saying now God is with you. And not just with you, he's in you. And because he's in you, he will walk with you through every fire, every flood, every loss, every subtraction and takeaway moment that you'll be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. God be praised because you're not going through it alone. Pastor Tim, I, I, I don't understand what it is to be born again. I, I want to help you as easy and as simple as I can. It's as simple as ABC. What is that, Pastor Tim? Each one of those letters stand for a word, A admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God, that all of us have a condition, it's called sin. It can't be fixed by a promise, a program, a pastor, even a priest, nobody can fix it. We need help to fix it. I'm broken on the inside of the diagnosis is sin, and I have to admit that. Whereas one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction, we're sinners in need of a savior. I don't need a second chance, I need a second birth. And how does it happen, Pastor Tim? That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to fix our sinful condition because I couldn't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then God putting his son through the suffering he went through is the ultimate case of child abuse. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross for me. But Jesus' death for me was Jesus being my sin bearer and paying the penalty I was supposed to pay. He died the death I was supposed to die, lived the life that I couldn't live, and gave me a reward called heaven and forgiveness forgiveness that I didn't even deserve. And then finally, see, confess. Confess him as Lord, Jesus as Lord. Those are big words. Don't skip over that. Do you think that God sent Jesus to die on a cross simply to get one day of a week from you to say, now I want your Sundays? Or I'll tell you what, I'll just take two hours on Sunday. That's not why he came. He didn't come to get you in a building. He didn't come to get you religious. He didn't come just to take a day away from you and to ruin your weekend. Jesus came to change your life. Jesus doesn't want your Sundays. Jesus wants every day. When you make him Lord, when you make him Lord, then he's in charge of it all. God's goal is not to get you to church. God's goal is to get you to heaven. God's goal is not one day a week. God's goal is eternity. See, coming to church on Sunday, that's religion. Being born again, that's a relationship. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place, but it's coming to a person. And according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, that word Lord means boss. 
Pastor Tim, what's next then for me? Well, just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. Just as you have a birth date, the date that you were born physically, you need a born again date. You need a second birth date. Just as you were born, many of you in a hospital, on the outside, now it's time to be born on the inside. I don't, doesn't matter where you are right now. Here's what's amazing. You can be born again right now. Maybe a whole family is watching. Maybe you're a student on a university campus. Maybe, maybe you're a worker from uh, working in Midtown Manhattan, or maybe you're a trader down on Wall Street. Maybe you're trading in London or in Sydney, Australia. You may be in Los Angeles in the entertainment industry. You may be an athlete on an off season. And God says, you can't get through this life on your own. You need me to go with you. And in order for me to go with you, I need to be in you. You need to be born again. And if that's you right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. These are, these are not magic words. This is just to begin, the beginning of a brand new journey. It starts with forgiveness and goes all the way to heaven for eternity with God and a God that will be with you. If that's you right now and you go, Pastor Tim, I want to pray that prayer, but I'm not perfect. Exactly. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Pastor Tim, what, what's the prayer? Come on, say this with me. If you could say it out loud with me, I want you just to pray. Whether a car, a locker room, a, 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 you're, you're in a dorm, you may be in your office. You may be listening on, on some ear pods on, on an elliptical or treadmill. And I want you to pray this with me. Come on, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited for you to this for many of you to become a second birthday. Now, I want to just give you a simple step because we want to help you on this brand new journey. If you if you prayed this prayer to be born again, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to text the word. You're going to see it on the screen to text the word decide. Now, you have to pay attention because we have some brand new things happening and I want you to get ready for it. This is exciting to me. So you're going to text it decided D E C I D E D to 51000. Those are new numbers now. If you've ever watched Times Square Church, you go and like, I don't recognize that number. This is a brand new number because we've got some brand new resources for you. So you're going to text decided to 51000 because we want to walk with you on this brand new journey. Over the next few days, you're going to receive text links to four videos that we call The Essentials. These short videos, very short, five to seven minutes, are gonna help you get started by explaining next steps and even giving you a challenge um, in, in some of them. Just five to seven minutes, you'll see the text coming in and it's gonna also help you to get connected with Times Square Church. We're gonna be reaching out to you over the following weeks to see not only how are you doing, but that you're not alone and that you're part of a brand new family. Man, I'm so excited for you. So don't forget, decided to 5 one 
1-800-273-0000. Look for those texts. Let us walk with you on this brand new journey. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.